Welcome to the Australian Property Investment Podcast with your host, Aaron Christie-David. Each episode, we ask an expert to share their key insights for aspiring investors to make confident property choices. G'day, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Australian Property Investment Podcast, all about helping you make better property choices. I'm Aaron Christie-David, mortgage broker, and founder of Atelier Wealth, specialising in helping property investors. Uh, join us each week as we speak to leading experts. Uh, these are real thought leaders in their industry, in their field, to ask them the three most common questions that we get asked by property investors. Uh, I'd love to introduce you today to Susan Farquhar, who is the founder of Caleb Property. G'day, Susan. How are you doing? Good, thanks, Aaron. How are you? Excellent, thank you. Thanks for coming on, Susan. And, um, and we're going to go through your journey a little bit. Before we always start, we say that our show and what we talk about is general in nature and does not constitute financial advice. If you do want to speak to someone about your finances, uh, feel free to reach out to myself and the team. Our details are hello at atelierwealth.com.au. And Susan will also include your details and all the links to Caleb Property in the show notes as well. So if you if you want to have a chat to Susan, feel free to reach out. Susan, you have an impressive list of accolades, and um, and I won't, I won't make you blush, but I will go through a couple of them as well. One is you know, your top 10 uh, investment property experts in Australia, uh, which is fantastic, and recently nominated for the Telstra Business Women's Award and New South Wales uh, Woman of the Year. So a huge congratulations. Thanks, Aaron. Well done. It's impressive. And obviously says it speaks volumes about kind of the ethos that you bring to an industry that um, very similar to ours, maybe has low barriers to entry. Um, there's a lot of people that come in maybe to, you know, I want to say make a quick buck, uh, but maybe self-serving if that's that's a fair assessment, kind of both our industries really. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so I think for you to stand out, um, that's something you should be incredibly proud of. Well done. Thank you. Hey, Susan, I want to get straight into it. And, uh, and why don't you share a little bit about us, about your journey, one, as an investor and two, as a business owner, if that's all right? Sure. Well, they're kind of the same story, actually. So, uh, Color Property was born out of me trying to work out what it meant to find the right property in the right place at the right time. And the reason I was driven to do so is because I invested in the wrong property in the wrong place at the wrong time, not once, not twice, but five times over. Oh, yeah. So by the time I was 26, I had five properties and I honestly didn't even think that there were questions you needed to ask. I just believed this idea, the Australian idea that we have that you always make money in property. Yep. So I was living in the Blue Mountains where I um, built a house there and then I invested in other houses and blocks of land in, in the Blue Mountains as well. And then I had three major life-changing events in three years and uh, realised that I had to do something. I had to get rid of some debt. I was I needed some cash. Um, and so I started looking at the properties. Yeah. And I really didn't have much option but to sell them um, rather than refinance because I hadn't had any growth. Uh, in fact, two of them were in negative equity wow. um, because that and what that means to your listeners is you've basically bought at the peak of the market and then you've reevaluated it when the market's dropped yep. and you actually the property's worth less than what you bought it for. I didn't even know that that could happen, right? Mm. I was 26 years old. I didn't, I'd never Ignorant learned. Yeah. yeah, well, <laughs> I'd never learned anything about finance. So my first degree was in research, ironically, in, in yep. international relations. But I didn't know that there was stuff you could research with property, so I just didn't, mm. right? 
So anyway, when I got back on my feet, um, I had got some money together. I thought, okay, I know that property is the right asset class for me because I'm quite conservative, I'm quite risk averse. And the thought of investing in a company where they could potentially go bust or take all my money, you know, Mm -hmm. didn't sit very well with me. So even though I had about a hundred grand and could probably diversify the risk somewhat, um, I still wasn't all that comfortable investing yeah. in shares. So, um, and also I just sort of looked at the capital growth and the return of property once I started getting my head around what actually meant to be a property investor. Um, and thought, no, property is the right thing for me. It's the right asset class, but I just this time need to know how to do it properly. So I went about getting a list together of what I should be researching uh, and I started with about 20 points of criteria. That has since expanded to 130 points of criteria, okay. making us probably the, 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 the most research-dependent company for property investment in Australia, yeah. if not the world. Like we're very, very That's research. Course, yeah. Yeah, and – um, so that, that's pretty much how Color Property was born. Um, because as I started doing well, my friends and family wanted me to invest with, you know, help them invest as well. And then, you know, due to a variety of life circumstances, I just went, I should just do this as a business. Um, and along the way, I became, uh, along the way, I did financial planning studies. Uh, I did my MBA in finance at MGSM. Yep. Um, as I said, I've got a degree in international relations, which was very research heavy. I wrote my thesis on Australian aid agencies and ethics. Right. And I also practiced as a mortgage broker for about a year. Yeah. So I've got all of the credentials as well that back it up and mm. make it really a very nuanced research methodology because I understand so many disparate parts and are able to bring them together in a recommendation for our clients. Brilliant. Thanks very much. It's an impressive track record. Thank you. Yeah, lovely. Worn plenty of hats. Uh, Susan, one of the big things that we want to talk about today is one of the most hotly contested topics in investing in property, mm-hmm. whether to buy new or to buy established. Sure. So you, your methodology is that you will only buy brand new, which yeah. can be polarizing. I mean, as property investors, they're torn in so many different directions. If you look at the different asset classes, you go commercial, you can go residential, you yeah. can go Airbnbs, you can go holiday letting, you can go uni accommodation. Uh, granny flats, yeah. subdivision opportunities. Yeah. Um, your head can be spinning as an investor going, which way do I go? So that go new versus old. Um, yeah. Talk us through, I guess, your preference. Talk us through your approach as well. And, and I guess your results for your clients would be great. Sure. Yeah. yeah so um, there's a lot in that question, but yeah. basically just what, what we offer is something very, very narrow and very, very deep. Uh, we we ha- our clients don't really come to us saying we want to buy a property or we want to buy a, a house and land in Geelong, for example. They yep. say I've got five hundred thousand dollars to invest. Where is where will I get the best return? Okay, the research methodology that I've developed uh, is Australia wide. Okay, so we're looking at property the five hundred and fifty property markets around Australia all the time. Yeah. Now, why new versus old? The 99% of my clients are pure investors. They're busy Sydney professionals, generally speaking. I have a few interstate and international clients, but generally they're busy Sydney professionals who just want the right property in the right place at the right time and they want to set and forget. Now, most of my clients come to me for a couple of 
key reasons. Security and retirement is usually the main one, yeah. uh, but tax minimization is another. Okay. And because depreciation is now largely only calculable on new property for, yeah. for the you know, fixtures and fittings, uh, that makes a massive difference to their tax return. So new property is where we focus because the majority of our investors are pure investors. The other reason for it is that one of the properties that I had when I was, you know, 26 um, was a property in Blackheath in the Blue Mountains and it was a beautiful, charming little house that I thought was super good quality because it was hardwood and it had terracotta roof tiles. Um, I got the pest report, the building inspection report, and about 30 days after I settled, my insurance company told me they wouldn't insure it because the wiring was too old. Now, Think about this, right? I was at this time I was 24 years old. I bought this property for $325,000 and it was going to cost me $12,000 to rewire it. Show me a 23 year old that doesn't have any family money or family support, self made, who has $12,000 lying at the back of the couch, you know? So luckily they were the days of um, good old fashioned bank managers and (laughs) I had a friend. Bank manager from Westpac in Katoomba yep. who just believed in me and he just said, Look, we'll get you the money. So I finally got that done, got the got it insured, got tenants in, and literally two weeks after the tenants moved in, the hot water system blew up and that cost twelve hundred dollars. So for me to then go back to the bank manager and go, Oh god, I'm so sorry. Um, you know, I was just like, what else is going to happen? Mm. Now, being in that situation, if I couldn't have found a solution, what do I do? No one's going to buy that property from me because they now know yeah. no one's going to rent it. It's not insured. Like that's a terrible situation to be in. And I guess, Aaron, being at the cold fl- face of property, I've heard so many of these stories, mm-hmm. especially when it relates to pest and building, things that should have been picked up that yeah. haven't been. Um, and if you look at those reports, you know, they're a, a little bit of report and a lot of disclaimer. And that's really concerning. You know, when you're buying a, like one of the biggest assets you'll ever invest in, um, I don't really feel like the standard is of a high enough quality for me to be able to recommend to my clients and then for me to be able to sleep well at night. Um, so that's my main reason is yep. for um, due diligence. So I can do really good due diligence on new property and new builds. I can't on second hand um, and the tax minimization advantage. Lovely. Thanks very much. And that's what we say to most of our clients. What works for one investor may not be the right strategy for another investor. Different reasons that people invest. There's no right or wrong, but you tend to find, especially with the good buyers agents, the good property advisors, for example, will understand that every investors journey is unique to yeah. them so it's going to work for someone else isn't going to be the right strategy perhaps for yourself as well yeah and yeah. i think especially um given that our research is australia-wide if you if you're recommending a property that's away from where the person lives they don't even have the option to go and fix it you mm. know and do stuff on the weekends when it's your own property buying a second-hand property fine you know you, you're happy to replace the gutters and go to bunnings on sunday and get your sausage sizzle yeah, on the way happy days right but when you're an investor that's just a headache and it's expensive and it erodes your cash flow and we're always looking at the sweet spot between capital growth and cash flow yeah. you must see plenty of developments that come across your desk across yeah. your business so talk us through what uh, what are you looking for? Yeah. So maybe some of those, not the 430-point checklist, yeah. is, uh, but what are your deal breakers as well? So what's kind of, what, are you, what are your key metrics and then what are the no-go areas? Okay, so the property is actually the last part of our research. So yeah. 
we start with the macro research, and the macro research, broadly speaking, is the economy, employment, population, demographics, supply and demand, infrastructure. Yes. Um, and we've got a lot of subcategories within that. But basically, when that part of the research is satisfied, it reveals the capital city or the region that's set for strong capital growth. So that's the capital growth part of the equation. Then we drill down into those regions or capital cities to find through by doing the micro research, yes. uh, which is about amenity. Who, basically, who's going to live there? Who's your tenant going to be? Because your tenant is the person who's going to pay for your um, rental property. Oh, sorry, for your investment property through the rental. So, you know, for example, if you're investing in Surrey Hills compared to Pennant Hills, you know, most Sydney sides will get an idea that one is very inner city, hip, you know, young professional. Uh, the other one is family. Yeah, so, you you know, you're not going to invest in a studio apartment in, in a family area, mostly. Like there's sometimes where you would zig instead of zag, but for yeah. the most part, you wouldn't do that. So it's about that's where the nuanced kind of research comes into play. And then once we've got the suburb, then we drill down into who's, who's building in the area and do our due diligence on the builder. Mm-hmm. So... What we go for, our, our preference is for house and land, yep. um, and our preference is for infill house and land in established areas. So um, think of, you know, a street where they've knocked down an old house and they've built two, like we've done a splitter block and, yeah. and then we secure both of those properties for investors. We love those. It's easy to work out the valuation. We could not already see what's around there. It's established, generally speaking. House and land in developing areas, new areas, especially areas that are changing from an old economy to a new economy. So the old economy could be manufacturing or mining and the new economy invariably is health and education and technology. So those, uh, they're really great areas. So the Sunshine Coast and Geelong have been fantastic examples of that. Um, So new estates in those areas are generally fine, but we tend to understand the difference between the new estates. What we're looking for for our investors, like I said, we want set and forget properties, um, are properties that um, are good quality builds in good quality areas. So a lot of investors have gone into, like if you look at Brisbane recently, the last five years has been a big, big, a lot of focus on in Brisbane. Um, we won't really do anything south of Brisbane, like towards Logan and the Gold Coast. Yeah, okay. Um, Logan is, has, you know, big issues with crime, with social housing. It hasn't been particularly well developed and planned in terms of dual occupancy properties. Right. Uh, there are a lot of dual ops, but not enough parking. So all of, you know, these tiny little streets are jam packed with cars and they're all on the verges and it just makes it really ugly. Mm-hmm. On co- by contrast, if you look at the northern growth corridor of Brisbane, that's been enormously successful. The Moreton Bay region is getting, you know, Sunshine Coast University and Petrie. Yep. It's one of the fastest growing regions in Australia. In fact, I think it's the fastest growing region in Queensland. And all the way up to the Sunshine Coast has been a great, a great investment yeah, for our clients. Um, the Gold Coast tends to oversupply really quickly uh, because they don't have the same height restrictions as the rest of Australia yeah. seems to have. Well, and the beach is really shadow, I think. <laughs> That's so true, yeah. yeah. Um, but also, I mean, it's a great place to visit. I love the Gold Coast, Correct. but uh, my yeah. parents live there and I love visiting, but I would never invest there for that reason. Yeah. The other thing too is that from Broad Beach across to the M1, the infrastructure, the road infrastructure to get onto the M1 is appalling. So if you need to travel to Brisbane or further south, 
you're in for an hour, just an hour's drive just to get onto the highway. So if you look at Google Maps, it's 40 minutes to Brisbane. It's never 40 minutes to Brisbane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, they're they're kind of my main things that I would look for. Um, Also, we know what valuers value, what they prefer in terms of floor plans. So we look for specific floor plans. We also insist when it's a new house and land build, we can insist on a certain level of inclusions such as high ceilings, stone bench tops, floor to ceiling cabinetry in the kitchens, floor to ceiling tiling in the bathrooms. We have like a colour inclusions pack or an upgrade pack that we insist upon. Uh, But when it comes to say townhouse developments and apartments, which we don't do a lot of, but obviously we need to do those for SMSF um, because they're single contract, um, we look at upper floors, corners, um, away from common areas, away from the garage, um, and north-facing, north or east-facing, okay. depending on the, the state. Great. Thank you very much. That's okay. Super thorough. Um, I'm going to go here. I may open a can of worms, uh, Susan, but um, you've often, you've been fairly outspoken that you know the rise of the female investor, and I think it's backed up by a lot of market intelligence. So it's certainly not an opinion. Uh, we've seen it, the research shows it, that females are outperforming males when it comes to property ownership. Yeah. I think there's probably two key demographics. One is younger women, uh, graduated, good incomes. Now, maybe it's not the same level playing field in terms of income parity with their male counterparts. Um, so that's one, that's one part. And the next, um, the next age group is perhaps women later in life who may be separated, realize that they haven't got enough for super, for example, that they're a family home but they don't have the asset base to retire comfortably as well, which is why they're looking at investing in property to have a comfortable retirement. So talk us through, you've obviously dealt with a number of female investors. Why do they make better investors? And what can males do perhaps to start maybe catching up there a little bit as well? Yeah, so firstly, I don't really have opinions in this space. Everything I do is research-driven. Yep. And uh, actually, I was asked this question a couple of years ago and asked to write something about it, um, which is and that went viral. So that's kind of part of the reason like why. Now. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, um, and recently, I was asked again um, by the project and 3AW, I think it was, yeah. um, uh, because the ABS statistic came out about women women getting into the market before their male counterparts when they were younger. So, I think you're right to address those two different demographics. Um, so just on that, I think that younger women are much savvier. They're, um, they're, you know, aware of property as a good vehicle for investment. And I think older women realize that, you know, they have been much more harshly, um, you know, dealt with. Well, mostly I think, yeah. So the average Australian woman would have to work 12 years longer than her average male counterpart to have the same balance in superannuation in retirement. So I think that's part of it is we're just so much more aware of these statistics now and we know how to interpret them and there's a voice for it, right? There are women like me in this marketplace rather than just being men like you in this marketplace who are talking about things that are relevant to men. Right. Um, and I guess I've seen this firsthand. I've seen it in my own family. I've yeah. seen it amongst friends. Um, so, But what makes women better investors? Uh, the research shows that they're more likely to talk amongst themselves. Yeah. You know, women do. Um, yeah, so women are more likely to seek help rather than talk about the results. 
So men are more likely to go, oh, I've got three investment properties rather than oh, I've got no idea what I'm doing. How do I get into this and who do I speak to? Yeah. Have you got someone I can recommend? Men are much more likely to go it alone and they're also much more likely to have been taught by their fathers. And the okay. way the way to invest now is not necessarily the way we should have been investing when our fathers were investing. So men were more likely to get that financial and property education than their, their you know, daughters were, sons yeah, were more than daughters. Yeah. Um, so I think women tend to talk amongst themselves more. They tend to collaborate more. Um, they also do a lot more preliminary research, so they know what questions to ask. Yeah. Um, men are much more uh, more likely to take a punt and just go, oh, let's give this a crack, yep. uh, whereas women are much more risk-averse generally, especially with something yeah. like that. Yep. Uh, and also women are more likely to take advice. You know, more, Women are more likely to seek out the advice of people who should know more rather than the opinion at the barbecue from Uncle mm. John who goes, yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> mate, I, I reckon that's a bad place to invest. <laughs> and, yeah, and I see this all the time. So I think they're kind of the five main takeaways from that. Um, but I think for women too, there is, you know, it, with property, it, you know, it's, the timing is critical for the first cycle. But after the first cycle, it's really compound interest that's doing heavy lifting. Mm. So given Australian uh, Australian property in a capital city will double in value on average every 11 years yeah. and in a regional area every 15. Um, women who are even at the age of 50 who have, you know, been screwed over by, you know, divorce or children or deaths in the family or having yeah. to look after, you know, children as well as aging parents or less education or whatever it is yeah. can still get into the market at the age of 50 and have enough in retirement. And that's really exciting. Susan, thank you very much for, okay, for being so on. sharing with your insights and your, 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 years, your years of industry knowledge. Really appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, thank you. Like I mentioned, Susan's details will be in the show notes as well. Um, if you've found this episode helpful, feel free to leave us a review, share it with your friends and family as well. Thank you very much, Susan. Thanks for listening to us as well. And until next time, have a good one. Mm-hmm.